As Dean had mentioned in his pastoral prayer, we want to keep our new president and Congress in prayer, uh, just as we've consistently prayed um, for the president and the uh, other governing officials during the last uh, two and a half years, at least, that I've been here. Just We need to uh, follow God's word and pray for our governing officials that God would give them wisdom, uh, give them a heart of repentance um, uh, for our good and the good of people here in the country. We continue our series here. It's a second installment of a series entitled Great Expectations here in 1 Thessalonians. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you would be at work by your Holy Spirit in our lives through this word, that you would transform us, that we too might be examples that you use uh, to make uh, your word uh, more and more known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The number one viral video of 2016 was James Corden, Adele, Carpool Karaoke. Now, if you're not really familiar with what we're talking about, about viral videos, a viral video is a good thing. Uh, it's, it means that more and more and more people have watched this thing. It's gone viral over over the social media, over YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I think that particular video was seen about 174 million times. Uh, and so uh, classics like that and uh, Charlie Bit My Finger in years past uh, tend, to, tend to be viral videos that, uh, that aren't particularly poignant or meaningful. Uh, they're sort of a diversion. Uh, sometimes viral videos go viral because um, they're actually scandalous. Um, and sometimes, every once in a while, they go viral because there's actually something praiseworthy, something inspirational about it. And today, we're going to talk about having viral lives. Again, if you're not familiar with viral videos, that may sound bad. No, that's good. That is, uh, that is a life uh, that goes viral, something uh, praiseworthy, noteworthy in our lives that becomes known and God actually uses that to further his word in the world. Now, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And you might think, well, my life certainly doesn't include anything worthy of going viral in the good sense of the word. What could God use in my life? Well, that's exactly what God did in the church in Thessalonica. And that's what he can do in our church, in our lives individually. So first, let's look at how that takes place here by looking at the fact that 
the first thing that has to happen is God has to take hold of your life in order for it to be effective and to go viral. We, look at, we see that in verse chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 1.4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So first and foremost, it's not about you strategizing, coming up with a marketing plan, how your life is going to get out there and make an impact. It starts with God intervening in your life and choosing you. Now, we could spend hours talking about this, this doctrine, this doctrine of election or predestination. It's very uh, wonderful and magnificent and mysterious and controversial. Uh, but what I want to point out here is the connection between love and being chosen. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he chose you. And we see that in Scripture, that God has chosen us because he loves us. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In love, he predestined us. And that's the way it works in the economy of God. In a, in a way, it, it's how it works in our economy. If you have a, a sort of a bad relationship, a fractured relationship with somebody, um, somebody has to make the first move. You know, somebody has to admit uh, they're wrong. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Somebody moves first. In the case of God, he's done absolutely nothing to apologize for. We are the ones who have fractured the relationship. We are the ones that have sinned against him. And yet God is the one who moves and takes the initiative in our lives. How long would it take us to take the first step if God didn't initiate in our lives. It would be an eternity because our hearts are not right. So God first initiates and he comes into our lives graciously. So number one, God chooses you because he loves you. He transforms your life. He takes your life. He gets a hold of your life. Secondly, in order to be transformative and for your lives to go viral in a good way, um, there has to be the truth of imitation or modeling being powerful in the lives of other people. We find that that's what happened to the Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul lays that out here in verses 4 and 5. The gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians witnessed the life of the Apostle Paul, witnessed the life of Silvanus or Silas and Timothy, and began to model what they had seen practiced before them, even saying that they began to model the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Modeling is extremely powerful. Um, Phil Mickelson, the uh, great golfer, um, as a, a very young child, 18 months old, his father uh, would be in the backyard playing golf, and uh, his father uh, was a lefty and would uh, sit up, would uh, tee up to the ball uh, with the left-handed golf club, and his son, uh, would look at him and watch him, even, even that young, and, and pay attention to him. And Phil Mickelson uh, was right-handed. I mean, uh, today he 
throws a baseball with his right hand, he throws a football with his right hand, he writes with his right hand, but he observed his father, and his father got him a little uh, three-foot uh, three-wood to practice with as a, as a boy, and so he gave it to him, and uh, he lined up, and instead of lining up correctly to address the ball as a right-hander, he addressed it as a left-hander, and he hit the ball with the back of the wood. And his father kept trying to get him to switch around and to hit as a right-hander, and he wouldn't do it because he had witnessed his father, and it was a powerful model for him, and for the rest of his life, he's played as a left-hander. Modeling is powerful, and God uses that in our lives and the lives of others. Specifically, how was it that they were models? Well, it says here that they modeled being imitators of us, that they received the word in much affliction and with joy. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16, it's recorded that he goes to the city of Philippi. It's interesting, Acts chapter 16 is just directly before we read of his interaction with the Thessalonians in chapter 17. And uh, it says that he and Silas are beaten with rods and they're thrown into prison because of uh, preaching the gospel and they're in shackles. And so what do they do? They sing. They sing praises to God. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and not long after that, the apostles are preaching, and the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin, the council, and the high priests don't like it a bit, and um, they call the disciples, the apostles in, and they beat them and charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go, and we have recorded that then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. What was going on here? They had joy, inexplicable joy, not natural joy. This isn't something that happens naturally when you're beaten with rods, when you're beaten by people, when you're thrown in jail, when you're in stocks. You don't rejoice. You don't sing. But they did, because they had the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. The Word of God, it came to you not only in word, but it was accompanied by power. The power of the Holy Spirit. We know because you demonstrated the joy of the Holy Spirit in affliction. There's power there. And as God works in our lives in inexplicable ways, it's not natural. Why would you do this? Why would you not do this? As the Holy Spirit begins to work in ways that don't make sense naturally, he will use that in a powerful way in people's lives as they observe you. And the word of God spreads as a result. The evidence of your faith will go viral uh, through supernatural means, but also natural means. You think about where the Thessalonians were. The city of Thessalonica uh, happened to be in a very strategic place. It was um, at a crossroads. It, there was a trade route that went through not only um, uh, by land, but also by sea. There was a port, a significant port there. 
And so we read that that's exactly what happened. The lives of the Thessalonians began to become spread. The news of them spread uh, throughout various regions, uh, beginning with verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. There was sort of a holy gossip that was taking place regarding the lives of the Thessalonians. And it talks about Macedonia, where, the, uh, where they were, where they lived, and then the Apostle Paul was in Achaia at this point, probably in Corinth, which is southern Greece. And he says, not only there, but the entire world. He, you know, using a little bit of exaggeration, he probably heard from people um, in Ephesus that came over. And so you have this, um, this reality. Uh, you remember last week, if you were here, we talked about the fact that the Apostle Paul and Silvanus and Timothy came to Thessalonica and they uh, proclaimed this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, and people believed and responded enthusiastically, and immediately they encountered persecution. Immediately uh, there was hardship for their faith in Jesus Christ. And not long after that, Paul has to leave, and they have to uh, move out of town. And so Paul is wondering, are they, how's this fledgling church doing? Are they still walking in their faith in Jesus Christ? He's concerned, so he sends Timothy to find out how they're doing. And Timothy has come back by the time he writes this letter. By the time he writes this letter, he's not only heard from Timothy, but he's heard from people from Macedonia and Achaia and other parts of the world. They're all coming together to say, man, have you heard what's going on in the lives of the Thessalonians? We've heard how they've responded. And as a result, the word of the Lord sounded first, sounded forth rather. Their, their lives went viral, and what happened was the word of God advanced as a result. So believers in Jesus Christ in these various areas um, were uh, encouraged, and they were encouraged to follow the Word of God. And people who had yet to respond to the gospel were encouraged to respond to the gospel because of the demonstration of what God was doing in Thessalonica. The Word of God can go viral from your lives and from my life and we find out what it was that went viral uh, here in the last couple of verses in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So there were a few things that they observed taking place. Number one, they turned from idols. Number two, they turned to the living God. And thirdly, they waited for the appearing of Jesus Christ who would deliver them from the wrath to come. Let's talk about idolatry. You know, we don't have, most of us probably, some of you may, but most likely not, you don't have any idols in your house uh, made of uh, wood or stone or gold or silver or plastic. Um, an idol was used uh, by people in order to, in essence, manipulate God. 
to get God uh, or a God to do what they wanted, to give prosperity, uh, health. And so if you did the right thing, if you chanted the right chant, if you uh, gave the right offering, then God would uh, respond in kind and do something good for you. Those are false gods. Those are idols. The Bible says that we can have idols. The Bible says that money, for instance, can be an idol, that you look to money to give you life. So anything that we turn to to give us life besides the true and the living God is an idol in our lives. Tim Keller asks a series of diagnostic questions to help us get at idolatry in our lives, to find out, to ferret out those things that we can turn to for life. And so listen up as I go through uh, several of these and ask yourself uh, if this helps you identify an idol or some idols in your lives. What is my greatest nightmare? What do I worry about most? What if I failed or lost would cause me to feel that I did not even want to live? What keeps me going? What do I rely on or comfort self with when things go bad or get difficult? What do I think most easily about? What does my mind go to when I'm free? What, pre- what preoccupies me? What prayer unanswered would make me seriously think about turning away from God? What makes me feel the most self-worth? What am I the proudest of? What do I really want and expect out of life? What would really make me happy? You see, in so many ways, our idols can be um, something that takes a hold of our lives uh, that we think we're going to get life from. And oftentimes, you know, we think of the scandalous idols. Um, they can be scandalous or very respectable. John Frusciante is the ex-guitarist for a band named the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, a number of years ago, he was... Um, addicted to heroin, and uh, in, a, in a, an interview with uh, John Frusciante, um, uh, he, he looked horrible. Uh, he looked like he could die at any moment, you know, just skin and bones from being strung out on heroin. And the interviewer was so taken aback by uh, this image that he, he had to ask him why he kept using heroin. And Frusciante said this, he said, it's because it's beautiful and makes me feel alive. The Apostle Paul said of idols, our thinking becomes futile, we become fools, and our hearts are darkened. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. And that's what idolatry does. We think that it gives us life, but instead it enslaves us and it brings death. And it might be something like addiction to uh, illegal or prescription drugs or, uh, or alcohol or pornography or um, uh, even overeating, something that will um, eventually kill us. Um, it might be something respectable. It, it might be that your life is wrapped around approval of a particular person or a workaholism uh, that will kill you. 
Um, whatever it is, whatever your idol or idols in your life, if you come before the Lord, perhaps today is the very first day that you turn from your idolatry to the true and living God. There is a true and living God that you turn to. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who he raised from the dead, we read. That particular God, that is the true and the living God. And only he will give life if you turn to him. And for those of us who've already turned to him, and yet we have idols in our lives, the Apostle Paul talks about, again, money as being an idol that we need to turn from if we think it's going to give us life. You know, your life going viral, it's not so much about perfection because we can't be perfect. It's about change, that God in his grace has loved you and forgiven you, and yet he's at work in your life. And as you begin to turn from your idolatry and turn to him and trust in him, the results will be something that people will take notice of. And if you wonder what my idol is in my life, you think, Maybe I don't know what my idol is. If you're brave enough, ask somebody around you who's close to you. They probably will be able to tell you what your idol is, what drives you. His name was Alfred Johnson. He is a pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Alfred Johnson grew up in Chattanooga. Uh, he uh, happened to be black and experienced a good bit of racism growing up. And so he... Uh, we'll just say developed an aversion uh, to white people. And uh, he and his buddies were roaming uh, downtown Chattanooga when they were boys. And at the same time, there was a, a group of college students who happened to be white from Tennessee Temple University that would do street preaching. Uh, they were in preparation for a ministry, and they would go and, and preach on the corners of downtown Chattanooga. And uh, Alfred and his buddies would, uh, would, would mock them and they would shoot spitballs at them and then they would run through the alleyways of downtown um, so that they wouldn't get caught. And, uh, but one thing that Alfred noticed about these uh, guys was that they didn't get angry at them. Uh, they didn't get mad at them. They didn't chase them. They didn't try to get the police uh, to go after them. And so he took note of that, and he went back, and he listened to what they had to say, and he got converted. He became a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, he started preaching. He was a preacher in a church. And he said for years what would happen on a Sunday is he would be preaching, and somebody from his past would come and would sit on the back row after the church had started, and they would just sit there and cross their arms and look at him, like, I can't believe this. His life went viral. There was, a, there was a holy gossip that happened. People said, can you believe what's happened in this Alfred Johnson's life? And as a result, people heard the word of God. Now, you don't have to be a preacher. In fact, it'd probably be helpful not to be a preacher. Uh, because you live around people, you work around people, you go to school with people who don't know Jesus. And again, it's not so much about this 10-point plan of how you're going to do this. It's are you willing to simply live your life as a believer in Jesus Christ? Let him change you and watch God do the work through your life as you grow, as you learn more and more about him, as you 
uh, relinquish the idolatry in your life and live true life, the joy of the Holy Spirit, and watch people around you in your neighborhood, in your family, say, what's going on in your life? And take note, and then be able to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, the second thing that happened was not only did they respond by turning away from idols to the living God, but they also waited for Jesus to deliver them from the wrath of co- to come, and we do as well. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We are waiting for Jesus to return. And there is going to be a day of judgment, a day of wrath. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And we should think about the fact that we are going to be delivered from the wrath to come. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 says, Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You know, when we think of wrath, uh, usually we think of somebody sort of flying off the handle. Uh, There's an old Star Trek movie, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, For some reason, whenever I think of that title, The Wrath of Khan, I think of The Wrath of Mom. I don't know why. It rhymes. You know, you've got a mom. Perhaps you are a mom. uh, And you know what it's like. And uh, you are loving and you are compassionate and uh, you are maternal, and, uh, and then those kids do, do what? They just needle you, and they poke you, and they disobey you, and eventually what happens? You know, steam comes out of your ears, and your eyes bulge, and horns grow out of your head. Uh, wrath uh, comes, and that's how we think of wrath, but that's not God's wrath. The Bible says that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. His wrath is commensurate with a just punishment. It's it's a matter of justice. It's a matter of getting what we deserve. And the Bible says that because of our disobedience against God, breaking his commands in Scripture, that we all deserve hell. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And of those uh, who are not the devil uh, and the false prophet, we read in verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, the place of eternal torment. The Bible speaks of hell uh, with the term Gehenna. Gehenna was an actual physical place on the outside of Jerusalem. It was a trash heap that perpetually burned. The Bible gives us these uh, graphic images to try to convey something of the fact that we deserve 
the eternal punishment, to be eternally separated from the blessed presence of God because of our sin against him. And yet, there is a way to be saved from the wrath to come on the day of judgment when Jesus returns because Jesus, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it. Propitiation, it's a big word. But what it means is this, that God has sent Jesus to do what you could not do. He did not deserve the wrath of God. And instead, he lived a perfect life for you. And your, uh, and the wrath of God can fall upon Jesus instead of you. Jesus, your substitute. God turns his wrath from you and he places it on Jesus when you trust in Jesus, your substitute. He was put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by him by faith. That's the good news. Just trust in him and what he's done. Admit your idolatry. Admit your sin. Confess it. Turn from it. Trust in Jesus Christ, the one who will save you from the wrath to come. And so we, we look forward to that. We look forward to the wrath to come. I'm mean, excuse me. We look forward to be delivered from the wrath to come. It's important to get that right. And so don't pretend that you're better than you are. Don't pretend that you aren't going to receive the wrath of God. By rights, all of us deserve it. I have a couple pastor friends, when they were college students uh, in Mississippi, uh, they decided they were going to go out to uh, a rural part of uh, Mississippi where there was supposedly a haunted house, an old deserted abandoned house, and so they went there uh, to explore it, and the, uh, the local sheriff uh, caught them there, trespassing, and came up to them in the middle of the night. And, uh, and so one of these future pastors began to give the sheriff some lip. And uh, the other potential pastor elbowed him and said, he's got a badge, he's got a gun, it's in the middle of the night in rural Mississippi, keep your mouth shut. This is not a smart thing to do. We can say, God, I don't deserve this. You deserve it. I deserve it. But wonderfully, he will save you from the wrath to come. And we await that expectantly, hopefully. We look forward, we'll find out in the rest of 1 Thessalonians, it's not just about not, being, not receiving the wrath of God. It is we look forward to being with Jesus forever. We keep our mind on that reality. And we look forward to it. Juanita Allen was here at church last Sunday, gave me a hug. Today she's not here. She's with the Lord. She's with the Lord. So whether it is thinking about uh, what it's going to be like if we go home to be with the Lord, or one day if we're, we remain here when Jesus returns and we're caught up in the air with those who've already gone to be with the Lord, in either case, um, look forward to what it's going to be like when Jesus returns. And if you do, you will lead lives of gravitas. You will lead lives of significance. You will lead lives that people will look at and go, what's going on in that person's life? They're filled with the joy that is supernatural. And the word of God will be more palatable and people will be more open to hearing and receiving 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.